6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Psalms, chapters 56 through 60. My heart is fixed, O God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. His heart is fixed. You know people whose heart is not fixed? We call that fickle. They'll tell you what you want to hear while you're with them, and then you have no idea what they're saying behind your back. This is, my heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Awake up, my glory. Awake, psaltery, and harp. I myself will awake early. Earlier he talked about lying down. Now he's getting up. This is an overnight thing. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the nations. Among the nations. The Gentiles. For thy mercy is great unto the heavens and thy truth into the clouds. And uh, be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. There it is, the echo again. And uh, the way Gabriel translates uh, verse 8, he says, I will wake the morning dawn, as if he's the one bringing it up. I'll wake up, my glory, awake, psaltery and harp. I myself will awake early. And uh, the night of suffering and sin is over. Satan's rule is finished, and the morning has come, is sort of the flavor here. The sun of righteousness has risen with healing in his wings. Now, I personally am tempted to put a sailor here, but it's not in the text, so we'll just move on. <laughs> okay, Psalm 58. It's an imprecatory psalm. This, these, are, these are the imprecatory psalms, and 58 and 59 are among them that calls down grievous things on one's enemies. It gives some New Testament readers a real fit. This is Psalm 58. It's one of the imprecatory psalms. You need to remember that David's enemies were rebels against God, not just against David. Furthermore, his interests were not just personal. He's the king of the integrity of the nation and a perpetual dynasty that God had ordained in him. The covenant people were protected under conditions of obedience. That's all through the scriptures, of course, Leviticus 26, several chapters in in Deuteronomy and so on. A battle between good and evil has been going on since Genesis 3 and continues to this day. We need to understand that there is a battle going on and uh, we need to invoke God's involvement in that. You and I cannot remain neutral in this confrontation between good and evil. There is a leadership crisis in David's life, and I think this is interesting because I think there's a leadership crisis everywhere you look. In in corporations, in our country, all shapes and sizes. During David's exile years, Saul led the nation down a path of political and spiritual ruin. As he disobeyed God's law and he opposed God's anointed king. Think about that. 
Are there parallels? Saul was surrounded by a group of fawning flatterers who fed his ego and catered to his foolish whims. And that's all in 1 Samuel 22 and following. David himself was treated illegally. Or so was Christ. Many of David's men lost everything by taking up with David and being in his team. Probably very analogous to the signers of the Declaration of Independence, who knew when they put their signature on that document that they would give up everything they had and owned, their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. They pledged, knowing the cost. And virtually all of them died in ignominy. Broke, wiped out. Interesting study to get into that. Psalm 58 was probably written late during David's exile while he's running out in Gedi or wherever, or possibly early in his reign at Hebron. Those were all tough times. And it could also have been influenced by reviewing, pondering, the mess that he'd inherited from his father-in-law. Saul left him a mess that he had to not only take over, but repair. The scripture has a lot to say about lawlessness in leaders. Isaiah 1 and 5 and 10. Amos 5, Micah 3. One of the most disturbing realizations I came to some years ago was when I recognized there was no accountability in our country. Then I realized we, see, we don't have loyalty to a person. We have loyalty to the rule of law. But if there's no accountability, there's no rule of law. And the rule of law has evaporated on our horizon in this country. And we're ready to reap the whirlwind. And, it's get, and it gets worse. Whether you're looking at the courts, the schools, the economy, you look at each sector. And you can see that we are plunging into a, a crisis that probably only God can repair for us. Anyway, this is an imprecatory psalm as David faced with the leadership crisis that he inherited. He calls down accountability on those that preceded him. To the chief musician, again, it's a miktam psalm. Victim of David. Do ye indeed speak righteousness, O congregation? Do ye judge rightly, O ye sons of men? So he's addressing the lawless leaders here, in effect. Are your decisions legal, he's asking? Are your judgments equitable? Are your silences honest? Are there places you... Are you being silent when you should speak up? Or are you speaking up when you should be silent? It's part of the, 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 the thing here. This is a, a, an imprecatory prayer, and David's enemies are all around him. Yea, in heart ye work wickedness, ye weigh the violence of your hands in the earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. That's human nature. That's the sin nature. That's what's wrong. Unjust judges are liars. And because of sin... And the sin nature in man, God established laws and government. For without laws, society is chaos. That chaos is forthcoming. The amplification of the root sin nature in the first place. 
as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They're like a deaf adder that stoppeth her ear, which will not hearken to the voice of wisdom. They, they, um, uh, what, a serpent is a symbol of whom? Who is like a serpent? Satan. You got it, right? Break their teeth, O God, in their mouth. Break out the great teeth of the young lions, O Lord. Who goes about, see, both lions and snakes are allusions here, idiomatically, of whom? Satan. Break their teeth in their mouth, and so forth. Let them melt away as waters which run continually when he bendeth his bow to shoot his arrows. Let them be as cut in pieces. Uh, backing up uh, just a bit here, what we're going to have here from verse 6 on are six destructions that David will call down upon uh, his enemies and uh, break out the teeth of the, of the lions. And, of course, snakes and lions are idioms, of course, of, of, of sin and Satan. And he's speaking again, as enemies, again, he's calling for justice. And the second of these six things, let them melt away as waters which run like a flood. The wickedness is like a flood here. And he asks that this flood of wickedness might just melt away. And in this verse is a, is a third of the six destructions. And that's like a marksman that, uh, who is shooting at him. When he bendeth his bow to shoot his arrows, let them be as cut in pieces. Again, it's a call for help. As a snail which melteth. You know, there is a certain... I thought this was just a poetic phrase, but I gather from the commentators, there is a snail uh, in that country that uh, uh, is called a slime worm that actually melts away in the heat of the sun. But whether it's idiomatic or, uh, you know... Uh, physiological, whichever, let them, every one of them, pass away like the untimely birth of a woman that they may not see the sun. You see, in one case, he's saying the enemy is leaving a slimy trail, but evaporate him. That's sort of what he's saying. Get rid of that slimy trail of the world. And then the fifth of these six is that uh, he, he, uh, he made the things that they plan be uh, in the evil womb of their mind, not come to fruition. It's sort of the idiom that's being used here. May they come to naught is the basic idea. And then the last of the six, before your pots can feel the thorns, he shall take them away as with a whirlwind, both living and in his wrath. The twigs of the bramble bush are gathered together and put under a pot to heat it, but then the wind comes along and blows it all away. It's sort of the idiom that's envisioned here. In other words, God remove them before they do their dirty work, before they burn and sear. In other words, frustrate the evil ones, is what he's suggesting. The righteous shall rejoice when he seeth the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. And that's a strange idiom for you and I, but they were accustomed after a battle of going through and picking up things, but their feet would be washed in the blood of the losers. It's, it's, a, it's a victor's walk among the vanquished, if you will. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. So that a man shall say, verily there is a reward for the righteous. Verily he is a God that judgeth in the earth. And uh, so, basically what David is doing here is calling on the Lord to bring vengeance. He's not taking vengeance himself. He's asking the Lord to do it. And that's exactly what Deuteronomy 32, 35, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Hebrews 10.30 says the same thing. And Romans 12.19 says essentially, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. 
You want to, if you think vengeance is called for, give it to the Lord to call it. Don't you do it. That's exactly what David's doing here. So yes, it's an imprecatory psalm, but it's, it's what it is. Let's go to Psalm 59. Again, it's the theme is being surrounded by your enemies. So about the enemy of the king. You know, Saul's fear and hatred of David was so intense that he gave orders to his officers to kill his son-in-law. That was what was operating here. Twice he tried to do it himself in 1 Samuel 19. Saul personally tried to kill uh, David twice. Then he plotted to have him murdered at home by having his officers watch his house and hope they'd catch him there at night. All that's in, in 1 Samuel 19. But his wife, Saul's daughter, helped him escape through a window and put a dummy in the bed. And uh, that gave him time maybe he, he, to get to Samuel, who is at Ramah. So it's an adventurous life. You read the First uh, Samuel, Second Samuel, the history of David. It's a great Bible story. It's a great adventure story. If you really recognize what's going on there. Okay, Psalm 59 opens to the chief musician, Aldershith, the victim of David. When Saul sent and they watched the house to kill him. This is part of the inspired word. So we, in this case, we know the historical context here. David says, deliver me from mine enemies, O my God. Defend me from them that rise up against me. Which is none less than the king himself, by the way. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloody men. For lo, they lie in wait for my soul. The mighty are gathered against me. Not for my transgression, nor for my sin, O Lord. It's not that he's sinless, but that's not why they're after him. They run and prepare themselves without my fault. Awake to help me, and behold. Now thou therefore, O Lord God of hosts, that's an army term, the hosts, Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, wake to visit all the heathen. Be not merciful to any wicked transgressors. Selah. Pause and consider. They return at evening. They make a noise like a dog. They go around about the city. Behold, they belch out with their mouth. Swords are in their lips. For who, say they, doth hear? But thou, O Lord, shall laugh at them. Thou shalt have all the heathen in derision. Because of his strength will I wait upon thee, for God is my defense. Wow. The God of mercy shall prevent me. God shall let me see my desire upon mine enemies. Slay them not, lest my people forget. Scatter them by thy power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. Thus can hear, for let them sins find them out before the people. He wants it open and, and, and people aware. For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride and for cursing and lying which they speak. Consume them in wrath. Consume them that they may not be. And let them know that God ruleth in Jacob unto the ends of the earth. Selah. It's interesting that David's requests here are consistent with God protecting his own honor and protecting his people because they're in a covenant relationship. It's not like he's doing it for a personal uh, issue. He's the king, and, and, and the, the welfare of the nation is at, at issue here. 
He goes on, and at, even, at evening, let them return and let them make a noise like a dog and go round about the city. Let them wander up and down for meat. Then grudge if they not, be not satisfied. But I will sing of thy power, yea, I will sing aloud of thy mercy in the morning. For thou hast been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. Unto thee, O my strength, will I sing. For God is my defense and the God of my mercy. This is so typical of David's Psalms that it, after all the pleading and so forth, it closes, it concludes with an expression of his faith and his trust in God's deliverance. In the case of David, God did deliver him. And God will not forsake those that are his own. And um, the believing remnant of Israel will be also delivered by the coming of Christ himself, who will judge the nations of the world. So the salt has an a dispensational overtone here also. Okay. Psalm 60 is the last of these so-called miktam psalms. And it describes the time that David was victorious over the Edomites. The Edomites were ultimately defeated, uh, utterly defeated, and never again rallied after that. Now in a prophetic sense, that's what's going to come up. Now in a prophetic sense, this can also be viewed as a picture in the future of God's deliverance of his people, the remnant of Israel and after the suffering of the tribulation. And so that's a, that's a possible application of it. A little historical back. David was winning all kinds of battles and making a real name of himself. That's all in 2 Samuel 8 and 10 and also recounted in 1 Chronicles 18 and 19. So David's on a roll, but that's up north. And while he's dealing with the Syrians up north... The Arameans, as it would be called in your text, but we would call them today, today's nomenclature would be the Syrians. Um, the Edomites down south were attacking the south, and they did great damage. They had some initial victories that were devastating, and that's what gives rise to the psalm. What did David do? He dispatched his head of the army, Joab, with part of the army to go down south. Abishai was with him. And with, uh, so they defeated Edom in the Valley of Salt, south of the Dead Sea. And so this is going to celebrate that in part because that, from that defeat down there, they never recovered of consequence. So this is Psalm 60. To the chief musician upon the Shushanaduth. I've never played one of those. I have no idea what it is. Um, a victim of David to teach when he strove with Aram Naharim and with Aram Zobah when Joab returned and smote of Edom in the Valley of Salt 12,000. So this is celebrating Job's return after this crucial victory down south, which followed on the previous defeat down south. So David starts. He says, O God, thou hast cast us off, thou hast scattered us, thou hast been displeased. O turn thyself to us again. Thou hast made the earth to tremble. Thou hast broken it. Heal the breaches thereof, for it shaketh. Thou hast showed thy people hard things. Thou hast made us to drink the wine of astonishment. He's alluding to the fact that when this first happened with this huge disaster down south, they were stunned. The whole nation was really shook because the victory of the Edomites down there was really bad news. Thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of truth, Selah. In other words, they're going to come out okay before this finishes. That thy beloved may be delivered, save with thy right hand, and hear me. Who's at his right hand? 
Who's at the right hand of the Father? Yeah, I think that's kind of interesting. It would make a big thing of it. I think it's interesting. Okay. God has spoken in his holiness. I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem. I will meet out the valley of Sukkoth. Shechem was the chief city of Ephraim, which is one of the primary uh, tribal areas in the north. Um, and uh, Sukkoth, with it, a little, uh, were west, was, uh, they were both west of the Jordan. And the patriarch Jacob is associated with both of those cities. So this is a very familiar Old Testament allusion here. I will divide Shechem and meet out the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine, and Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the strength of mine head. Judah is my log. God is here, in effect, through David, declaring, hey, this is all mine. This is his. This is God's. Gilead, that's what we would call the Golan Heights, more or less. And Manasseh, half of that was west, uh, uh, east of the Jordan, half west. And Ephraim also is the strength of mine head. And Judah, of course, is the royal tribe, Right? Ephraim was sometimes called the helmet of the nation, by the way. And of course, Judah is the, is the royal, the lawgiver from Genesis, Genesis 49.10. Then he talks even about, now he's talking about the enemies down there, Moab and Edom, that's the ones they're all worried about. Moab is my wash pot. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what I rinse off in and then throw it away, you know. Over Edom will I cast out my shoe like some, uh, some, that you'd cast it out for someone to wash your feet with, kind of thing. Philistia, triumph thou because of me. Who will bring me into the strong city? Who will lead me into Edom? And by the way, what is the city of strength of Edom? Does anyone know? A place called Selah, or also called Petra. Lots of prophecy about that. I'll let you chase it down. It was the capital of Edom, by the way, at one time. Wilt not thou, O God, which, which has cast us off? O thou, O God, which didst not go out with our armies? They apparently, see, they felt they were, maybe they'd been abandoned because of the previous defeats down there. Give us help from trouble, for vain is the help of man. Boy, could you write a collection of examples from the Bible where people turned to man's remedies and got clobbered instead of turning to God's remedies. That lesson reoccurs, reoccurs, reoccurs throughout the scriptures. Through God we shall do valiantly, for he it is that shall tread down our enemies. I always want to put a Selah there. Yeah, like that. Okay. Okay, okay that's just a collection of uh, this little group of Miktam Psalms. Uh, for our next session, I'm going to encourage you to take a look at Psalm 61 through 68. And when you've done that, I'm going to ask you, one of the questions I'm going to ask you, which is the only psalm? You know there's a psalm known as the only psalm? Well, that's, your little, that's your riddle to solve when you go through. And for those of you that are preparing for next session in a little more depth, I encourage you to read Judges 5. Judges 5 is the song of Deborah. It's a song of victory over Sisera and all that in the book of Judges. It's a very interesting little victory song by Deborah, but it also has some surprises tucked away in it, and it also is a tapestry behind which we're going to be looking at uh, one of the Psalms next time in our next session. So I'll leave that with you for your challenge, and let's stand for a closing word of prayer. And let's bow our hearts.
Father, we just thank you for your word and its many facets. But we thank you especially for the book of Psalms, Father, and the comfort and the insights that we have. We thank you for the example of David. We thank you for speaking through him to us that we too, as we face those that conspire against us, as we face those who have put us to disadvantage, as, as we see the leadership crises around us where people, judges, teachers, and leaders betray our heritage and our country. Oh, Father, as we see the, the forthcoming disasters, we thank you for the book of Psalms, that we might refresh ourselves, that we might refocus ourselves, that we might rearrange our own priorities to recognize that you are in charge and that you are able to deliver us. We do pray, Father, that you would give us your insights, your strength. Help us to feel your presence, Father, as we go forward. Because we realize, Father, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness in dark places. So, Father, we just commit ourselves into your hands. We pray, Father, that through these passages that we each might grow in grace and the knowledge of our Redeemer. We do pray, Father, that you would draw us ever closer to you and help us to more fully appreciate your abiding presence for each of us, despite what appearances might be. We thank you, Father, that you are a faithful God, that our future hangs on your faithfulness. We do pray, Father, that you would help each of us to indeed grow in grace the knowledge of our Redeemer as we commit ourselves into your hands in his name. Amen. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler teaching through the book of Psalms. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. Or you can call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Music